Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM, let's create. Like some people would have a sense of accomplishment that wasn't me. That was, I'm doing well. I don't know what to expect. John Gaines, my agent, is, is helping me, saying, Pam, you're really doing well as as an actor. I hope you want to continue, because I kept saying, no, I want to go to, you know, to college. I want to go to school. I want to get a degree, hopefully, in filmmaking. I didn't think it would be my future, and... Um, I, cause I'm more technical, more geeky, more mechanical. <laughs> and, uh, it is just, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up being an actor, a dancer, you know, in, in the theater or anything like that. So I didn't know how I was going to continue or be successful at it. Cause I didn't know what I needed to do to be successful. That was Pam Greer. I'm Sam Fragoso. And this is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Uh, Pam Greer is on the podcast this week. I have been wanting to say that sentence for about two or three years now. Pam Greer is not someone who needs a proper formal introduction. If you are listening to the show and do not know who she is, I promise you, you know who she is. Most recently, she's in a new film called Palms out in theaters now. And uh, she's also in this new ABC sitcom called Bless This Mess. It stars Dak Shepard and Lake Bell. Uh, The season finale is in a couple days. Here's a bit from the trailer. 
My husband's great aunt died and left this farmhouse to him, which is why we're moving to Nebraska. Why would you leave New York? Four men have shown me their penises on the subway this month. <sighs> right. Maybe one woman. Hi, Mom. You've never lived anywhere but the city. You're afraid of cows. You're afraid of cows? No. Mom, I need a simpler life. Okay, uh, you know, guess it could use a coat of paint. Oh, yeah, I'm an old friend of your Aunt Maggie's. I'm so sorry for your loss, but she did get a little racist near the end, you know. Oh, I didn't know that, and I apologize. Uh, ain't nobody perfect. We got in a fight, we've never fought. Fighting is good. You know, the best kind of love is honest. Mom. What? What's happening? What's happening? Cow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, it's moving its head. Put the cow on the phone. Get your hands off of my daughter, you big, fat, bovine beast. Oh, oh my God, it's attacking me. Oh, Where should we tell him it's a weed? Soon. Pam Greer is someone whose career spans uh, over four decades. She was really a landmark figure in the black exploitation film movement that happened in the early 70s. But her career spans uh, even to this day. And uh, there is a book that she wrote, a memoir, in fact, called Foxy, My Life in Three Acts. Memoirs are usually not very good. I don't mean to be critical or, or cynical about them. But uh, they are very rarely uh, through and through compelling. And uh, this is not the case with Foxy, uh, My Life in Three Acts. Pam Greer is a phenomenal writer. And she has led, uh, I think, one of the more interesting lives that I have read about. And so for the next 90 minutes, uh, which we did our best to condense down into an economical uh, hour interview... You're going to hear us touch on 55, 60 years of life. It starts in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and and works its way through uh, Los Angeles in the 70s and 80s, uh, falling in and out of love with everyone from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to Richard Pryor to being a woman in Hollywood at a time where they really did not want women in Hollywood having power. She was the first woman to ever sign a three-picture deal. And I know for a fact that many have cited Pam and her work as the reason for getting into this industry and trying to make the art that she made and that she continues to make. So this conversation could have went on for five hours and I still would not have hit everything. But I did my best to touch on what I believe are some pivotal moments in her life. Um, It was truly an honor to talk with Pam And uh, we will have to do a round two at some point in person. But for now, uh, let's call up the one and only Pam Greer. Hello. Hello, Sam. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Pam Greer. Can you hear me? Oh, you sound good from here. Um, 
I have so much to go over. We have uh, an hour to talk. And I, I, I just finished reading your book. And I, I think you did a really lovely job. And it taught me so much about, I think, being a person and being a healthy, balanced person. But I wanted to start, if you're open to it, uh, in 1967, 18, there's a chapter that begins, And so while the sun was rising in the east very early Friday morning, I grabbed my suitcase with my single pair of jeans and my purple coat, and I kissed my mom goodbye. <laughs> I'm sorry, it evoked memories. Well, that's what I'm, I'm fascinated. What is your memory of that day leaving home? I had planned on it, and I knew I needed to leave. I wanted to find... Uh, who I was as a young woman. I needed to find where my independence would be. I was given these great gifts by my grandfather, Daddy Ray, uh, uh, who had the sugar beet farm and up in Wyoming where my mom was born, and he had taught all of us girls to hunt, fish, and shoot and be self-sufficient and independent. And I knew I had to apply that at some point. And my mom felt confident that I, that I would uh, be able to leave and, and hopefully you know, be okay, find my way, and I could always come back if I didn't, you know, get into film school if it's something that I really, you know, didn't like or be, was really passionate about. Because sometimes you can be in love with the idea of being in love. Mm -hmm. Doing it and being are two different things. So, I, you know, I, I had no idea what it would be like as an adult woman in a new world of independence with Gloria Steinem, the women's liberation movement. We didn't have social media, but we did have a chain of magazines that would show women at the conventions and I felt that I'm that movement is going to sweep me away from home to Los Angeles where you know the, there was a huge student movement on all on the campuses women's student unions you know it was it was a whole if, if I could say the civil rights uh, movement won and everyone was experiencing all all the rights that were expressed and and I wanted to be a part of it and that movement that day you know driving out um, with my Aunt Mignon with $33 and a bucket of chicken I felt I was you know yes I can make it and my mom uh, she said you know you can always come home but you can call me anytime and and um, she knew she'd given me some confidence and my grandfather my family had and I had those secrets of, of being attacked and and I I, um, I didn't want to tell my family about it because I know that if I had even as a little girl the first attack when I was six that my my relatives the male relatives in my family would have you know been really upset and I don't know what would have happened and I didn't want to tell them and I was threatened to not tell them what had happened to me and at 18 pretty much the same thing but I knew if I told them so that some of the they would have gone after the people who had hurt me and and they could have been hurt themselves or gone to jail, mm. gone to prison, I would lose my family. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to lose my family. So I'll just keep my, you know, um, attacks quiet. I will work with it. I'll have therapy. I'll have friends. I'll, I'll find a way to, I just heal myself, if you will. And, and that's what my my journey would be. And I, I looked forward to that. I didn't know what was going to be the outcome hmm. moving to Los Angeles. And, um, but I felt, you know, I had such curiosity. 
It sounded like you had sanity and strength at a very early age. I I did, and it was challenged. Trust me, there were days where I wanted to tell my family. There were days where I really needed to say things, and I would stutter, and, and it became a problem with my speech. And I still have it when I'm very, very afraid, and I had to work on that. So, but I knew that we're all going to have in life injuries of various types, mm. psychologically, physically, and you just don't know how it's going to affect you, and you just try to take it with you and make it work for you. And I have tried to, hopefully, we found the right producers who will produce uh, my autobiography, Foxy, and, and they're lovely, lovely people. I can't wait to disclose you know, who, who, we, who they are. Um, that really want to show all, all the issues, the things that I had, you know, challenges that I had encountered, how I have gotten to this place today, carrying all of those battle wounds. <laughs> I, you know, and we're talking, even for an hour, we're talking about over seven, I'm, I'm going to be 70 in a few days. Mm-hmm. We, we, we only have one hour to talk and we have 70 years of life to cover. So I'm going to try to pinpoint moments in your life that are uh, perhaps emblematic of, of a larger picture. Something that is fascinating to me in some research is that um, in 1973, Coffee comes out and your character is advertised in the trailer as the baddest one chick hit squad that ever hit town. What do you remember about that happening in L.A.? Because you had been there for five, six years at that point. Uh, Like some people would have a sense of accomplishment. And that wasn't me. That was, I'm doing well. I don't know what to expect. John Gaines, my agent, is, is helping me saying, Pam, you're really doing well as as an actor, I hope you want to continue because I kept saying, no, I want to go to, you know, to college. I want to go to school. I want to get a degree, hopefully in filmmaking. I didn't think it would be my future. And um, I, because I'm more technical, more geeky, more mechanical <laughs> with tools and, and apparatus. And, and uh, it's just, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up being an actor, a dancer, you know, in, in the theater or anything like that. So I didn't know how I was going to continue or be successful at it because I didn't know what I needed to do to be successful. By the way, Pam, I think the idea of you being geeky is like the farthest perception people have ever had of you. So for you for, for you to say that is just like making me laugh over here. Well, I'm a gamer. Um, I jerry-rig things. I fix things. Uh, I love erector sets. I always uh, set up my computers and printers. But I am. I'm, I'm quite mechanically inclined. <laughs> so do, do you feel like it, by, by 1974 when Foxy Brown comes out, is that the moment when you're getting that three-picture deal that you feel like, okay, I have made it in this industry? Not at all. That was the furthest thing from my mind, was making it. I said, oh, you, you, we're getting you, a, a, we're, you're signing on your three-picture deal. I'm like, oh, okay. No, it wasn't, it wasn't a goal. To other people, it was a goal. They were guiding me, saying this is how you will become successful and can can you know make films and I just said I don't know if I can do that but if they said it's great and I was 
still not in the dark but reluctant because I needed to find projects. I, he's, John would say, you're going to build, you'll have you know, people financing films for you, just find the stories and how am I going to do that? What, what do I want to say? There's so many stories and can I actually do this? And I didn't know if I could do this so I was basically going, oh, okay, now what do I do? I, I just didn't know how, it was a daunting, you know, the success brought me confusion what do I do next? How do I continue the success? I don't want to be repetitive. So I said, okay, coffee, she's different. Foxy Brown's more extreme. Uh, then there was Sheba Baby, a, less, uh, a little bit more country. Then there's Friday Foster from the comic book. So I was trying to be different each project. And each time you could see, well... I, I could have more danger, more profanity, more sexuality. Where do we go from here? And I see that today in films. You can only go so far with CGI. When we didn't have CGI, when we, you know, I needed a stunt woman, so I didn't get hurt. I needed to have, to have really exciting stunts and car chases and things like it. And so I had, you know, producers in the studio assisting me and said, what do we, what do we need to do to not be redundant, but to move the energy and excitement about women in action? And so we scratched our heads and looked up history. And, and uh, I was still, to this day, I speak of why isn't there a you know an officer and a lady jet pilot mm. love story you know um, Mary Fields I wanted to do a western of the first black female stagecoach driver I went to some of the studios that had my catalog with agents and books and everything in tow and talked about Gary Cooper the actor wrote about a woman who drove a stagecoach in Montana when he was eight years old and she was very successful at what she did and it was in the era of Calamity Jane and Annie Oakley and I came up with a a synopsis of you know these three women in the same uh, time helping one another and crossing each other's paths at the time and it was real and they just said you know no nobody would buy a black female stagecoach driver and I said well even though it's historical and we have proof and we can preference it with all kinds of history and it, it's new and fresh and she's wild and she has a shotgun and smokes a cigar and all the Indians follow her because they think she has the safest stagecoach I think I thought it was very exciting and they just they, they just passed I said no we want you to do more chases and shoot gangsters and drug dealers I said I'm bored I won't do it so I realized, you know, we were up against the people who had the funding or were forcing us to make the films that they, that would, in a way, kind of, um, I don't know, bore the audience. And I said, we're going to lose it. I, I don't know how, what we can do. And I just felt, well, you know, I might do theater for a while. I might do, then Fort Apache of the Bronx came up, other films came up mainstream and I just so I just need to step back and figure out if I want to continue this or, or what but it, it when you when you've given that success you're not obligated to if, uh, to find out what to do with it mm. you have to make sure you have the right producers and agents who can guide you and 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 so you don't waste money because you know if you fail did all this success make you anxious no no not at all and, I, and that's a, a thing about myself is I can can uh, uh, take on a lot of stress 
in a situation like if there's a, a horse with a bad wound and I don't get anxious and upset, I figure out, wait for the vet or how can I help and assist, keep, stop the bleeding and, you know, accidents. I've done, helped in a lot of situations where I don't get anxious. I, I have a calm uh, a calming demeanor often and and uh, thank god it works for me um but no it didn't make me anxious it just made me want to dig even more to find out what would where's what where can i feel the seats what what is society interested in every five years it changes and you have to you know be you're a student you have to study you have to do your due diligence to see where your your market is because your market changes and so i knew it was i had an audience changing with me that would see anything i did then i that made that would make me anxious but not anxious it made me uh oh i better inform educate entertain and not be redundant uh, because I live among the community. I don't live in Beverly Hills behind a, a wall. I live with people. I walk among people to, to, to watch them, to learn from them. And, and if, they, if they meet you, they're going to tell you, that you know what, I saw that movie three times. I ain't going to your movies anymore because you do the same old thing. They'll tell you to your face. So I said, <laughs> mm-hmm, okay. I, that I'll make sure it doesn't happen. So if I get the opportunity to, to be a part of a film, to help finance part of a film just with my presence, to do that, I don't want to take people's money. I want to know, let them know, and t- that they're excited to be there, spend time, um, you know, a, a new story, um, things that they haven't seen. They, this, that's what they're interested in, and I, re- I, I just want to do that for them. I don't, I don't, we don't, I don't need their money. I don't want them to waste it, the time and money, because I, my mom couldn't see my movies. She couldn't see half the movies, even Shaft or, or Diana Ross or any, any film, The Wiz, because she was busy working and mm-hmm. raising, you know, not only her three kids, but her sister's three kids. Six kids on an ER nurse's salary. She's just now seeing them at 90 with the brown sugar uh, dot com app as a streaming service through Bounce TV, I got it for her so she can re- go back and revisit all the 300 movies that she never saw and, and concerts and and there'll be a group of you know five or six uh, senior women, real senior, watching movies that they couldn't afford to see. So I, I know that wow, okay, that was the right move. Not waste people's money. Try to be unique and different each time you have an opportunity to. And and so that was one of my goals that kept me grounded. It wasn't an excuse not to make movies. It was the excuse to make the right ones that people would really like and be interested in. When Foxy Brown comes to town, all the brothers gather round. Because she can really shake them down. Foxy lady, Foxy lady. Pam Greer, that one chick hit squad who creamed you as coffee, is back to do a job on the mob as Foxy Brown. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. That woman, she's crazy. There's no telling what she'll do. You, you've talked a lot about being uh, a student in your life. I still am. No, I, and it's an ongoing thing. I don't think you ever stop being a student, but there's this quote you have uh, on March 11, 1974, 
uh, you go to the Troubadour uh, with John Lennon and Santa Monica. <laughs> and there's, yes. a, there's, a, there's a quote that you, that you use, and you said, I feel like I'm on the outside watching. And so there are a handful of experiences I'm wondering, and I'm fascinated by, in which you seem to be on the outside watching. Well, culturally, um, there you know, were various levels of you know, actors, stardom, Beverly Hills, success, who you are, the A actor, the B actor, the C or whatever. Um, I always felt I was the rebel, the reluctant actor. Um, I was invited to all, you know, my agent kept saying, Pam, you know, and I had uh, briefly a PR person that would say, Pam, you're invited to all of these parties. So these, uh, uh, you know, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., um, all these people, I had, didn't even know them. Lou Wasserman, um, the president, uh, chairman of Universal, all these people, because they, they want you there so they can, you know, meet you and see if possible. Possibly you, you know, they could work with you. And mm-hmm. and John had me. I was going to Sid Sheinberg's house. You know, these these are. He was the president of Universal, and his wife Lorraine Gary played the wife in Jaws, and she took me shopping for clothes because I was so I was so homely looking. <laughs> she took me to Rodeo Drive, and my eyes bugged out of my head, going, "There's another world out there." Whenever I would go to their homes, which were the size of a block. And to see their wealth and success, and many of them were quite down to earth. It was interesting seeing it, and I was, you know, um, how people manage their life, how people manage their success, and 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 you know when they the success wasn't there, how they managed those those times where the flash bulbs weren't you know flashing, and um, there mm. weren't any premieres, and they would talk about you know who, and I would I could see who was affected by the lack of work and who wasn't, and who just lived their life normally, and so I was I was getting to see the the, the differences in in the elite Hollywood. And I had turned down a lot of, of, of invitations to people's homes because I didn't know them and I didn't want to go by myself. I didn't have a boyfriend. I didn't really have a, I would always go home, so I really didn't have a, a home in California. And I didn't know how to dress and I didn't have all that stuff going. I went to rehearsal and then Jack Haley Jr. was one of the producers and, um, uh, and John Lennon and Harry Nielsen, um, they were presenters. Uh, in the, the Academy, the Oscar show, and um, and I'm not really comfortable around a lot of people that I don't know, especially, you know, like a group of all men mm-hmm. or even a group of all women. I'm just not that comfortable, and especially if I don't have guidance as to what do you do, what do you do? and Jack Haley, he said, hey, we're, we have a break in rehearsal. We're going to go see um, the Smothers Brothers at the Troubadour, and I went, the Troubadour? I said, yes, you know, it's where everyone, all the stars go, music people, they, they test their songs in the audience and, you know, prepare their shows there. It's one of the hot spots of, and I go, oh, I had heard of it, but I'd never been there. And he says, and by the way, we're going with John Lennon and Harry Nielsen are going to join us. And I, the whole world stopped. John Lennon. And I was like, oh my God, the Beatles. And they came up to me, all of us waiting to get in this limousine. He says, you need to come. And I just said, okay. And we got in the car, drove to the Troubadour. 
And the audience was waiting, having drinks, waiting for the Smothers Brothers to come and you know and show uh, present their new show for touring or Las Vegas. And so they're waiting, waiting. And so John, who's sitting across from me, he and Harry, I I can't talk. <laughs> John talks to me. I'm like, oh, he's going to talk to me. What is he going to say? And he says, Pam, you know, I heard on the, on the, on the radio this song, you know, and he was talking about it. It's something about the window pane. And I went, and people, if I can't stand the rain. I knew of the song and I knew that it had been playing. And he says, yes, yes. So I started singing. I can't stand the rain on my window. Brings back those memories. He said, that's it, that's the song, that's the So he goes, keep on, keep on. I'm going, I start, I play drums, so I play keyboards, so I'm starting to, you know, play the beats for him on the table. So people turn around, and then they recognize John Lennon singing with me and Harry singing, sitting next to him. We're both banging on the table. And people see him, and they start applauding and standing up and whistling, John, John, come up on stage, sing, John, John. They're applauding like crazy, and he's, he gets the audience to sing along. And John is having a ball. He and Harry, one more drink, please. Drink, drink, drink. And so I'm going, okay, I'm singing with John Lennon and his entire club. So the lights start to flash and dim. The Smothers Brothers are about to come on. John and Jack, everyone says, John, shh, we've got to be quiet now, you know. And so they come on and they start their show. And then John says, come on, Pam, let's sing again. Let's start. I said, John, no, I'm not going to sing with you. This is going to get me into trouble. He says, oh, they're fucking boring. I'm like, John, stop. He starts singing again. After he says something, next thing you know, fists are flying. They pull, the guy pulls John over the railing. He's kicking. Harry's trying to pull on his legs. Everyone's trying to grab, stop the fray, the fight. Tables are thrown. Chairs are thrown. It's, it's mayhem. I'm going, oh, I'm in the middle of this shit. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and next thing you know, you know, they've called the police. We're sitting outside on the curb being interviewed by the LAPD. They let us go. We get back to rehearsal. News at 11 on the newspaper, LA Times. I'm in the middle of this fray. did a film called Friday Foster and I, I want to I'm curious what did you learn as a student and as a person in the world from Eartha Kitt she when she came back um, to the states my film was the first film that she was in and and she was wonderful and gracious and I learned how she captivated people she was a teacher she was a professor she, it was sitting with her it was a master class in life and she would sing and she would have comments she reminded me of my my sister and she just had this eloquence about her and it just was another 
lady, another woman, another character, another image um, that she had. And it was captivating. The great thing about her, she was asking me about, you know, myself, where I was from. And when I told her I was from the Midwest, she was like, I, I wasn't from New York or Chicago or, or the sophistication of a big city. I said, no, I'm from kind of the Black West. Uh, you know, my grand great grandmother, my and my grandfather, they're from Wyoming, and they were farmers, and they came, you know, across probably through the Underground Railroad, and just to see her eyes, well, I could see her in a west, a cowboy hat, a, a western shirt tied at the waist, and some jeans and some boots, and I could just see her sashaying around a rodeo. I just said, you know, Eartha Kitt would have to be, if I could do that Western with all women, mm-hmm. I would have to put Eartha Kitt in it. And that was one of my goals. She would be awesome. <laughs> and I said, well, she'll, she'll be that, and I'll be the, the girl that jumps on the horse and rides off into the sunset. <laughs> That's, and she'll be in the, the Thunderbird singing Santa Baby. <laughs> so. You know, Pam, there's a moment um, in a documentary about Eartha where she talks about falling in love. I think if you were to think about it in terms of analyzing, yes, I fall in love with myself and I want someone to share it with me. I want someone to share me with me. That's absolutely right. I I love me more um, when I didn't fall, not pray, but fall into the limelight and success of the three most wonderfully gifted men that I had met as a young woman. The first one was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, he wanted me to become a Muslim, but I could not make him that happy. I just could not, you know, conform to the doctrine of being a Muslim woman, which was, you know, accepting wife number two, having as many children, giving up my career. You know, he was an orthodox. He, 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 uh, there were some rules that he wanted me to follow, and I just said, nope, I love you. You're my first love, but I need to find who I am as an independent woman in the film industry. And then when I'm, I, I actually, uh, uh, I think my first week was at UCLA trying to, you know, admissions and seeing what I could do, how to get in the school, meeting film students, and then within a few weeks, I met him at a at a a, a black um, club in um, uh, Crenshaw, and it was a very uh, uh, kind of a the, the hippest, newest, trendiest club, and that's where I met him. And I just and, and and some film students took me there, and I looked like you know right off the turnip truck. And he was interested in me because I was shy and I didn't really dance. And you know, I, you know, he probably thought he could, you know, mold me or something. And that's just you know, subjective. I I don't know if he even thought that uh, because I later on. Said he he needs to go and and find a and he did on my birthday he called me to wish me happy birthday to you know, Islam that he was going to marry someone that afternoon and I was didn't know that he'd been seeing someone else but that was a part of it I said I forgot that chapter and how to become a Muslim woman and and then Freddie Prince uh, later on a couple of years later was so 
so um, interesting and so supportive in my career, and and um, he was just almost really perfect, except for he needed to have his his time to become a a, a superior, a wonderful, funny you know, comedian, dancer, actor, he really needed that and that adulation and see, you know, how he would survive that. And he was just stepping into that and I didn't want to interfere with that. I'd, you know, go, go, be a part of that. And he, he did the same for me. And then there was Richard Pryor um, where he had children and he really wanted to be around someone who was less aggressive and less provocative and, you know, no drugs and no, you know, high life, no craziness. And he just, cause he'd already had that. Now he was mm. settling, want, want to settle down, calm down a bit more and go cold Turkey and learn to play tennis and have his kids with him. And, uh, so, you know, there were three different men who, that I had met and actually fell in, in love where you could have that. And sometimes you're only, you could be in love with someone for, and, you know, a, a day, a week, a month, a few days, a few months, not forever. If you are, that's wonderful. But I was able to call the shot where I walked away from these wonderful men who taught me very, very much, taught me a lot. I was able to walk away from them as, as painful as it was. And, and in the book, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sobbing. I'm, I'm upset. And, but I can't help them. I can't make them happy, I would lose myself. And I, you know, I, I was just finding myself in life and learning how to challenge and be challenged and, and take risks and, and solve problems and on my own and that I knew I had as a gift, being a geek, being someone who really wanted to go to, to med school, possibly be a, a surgeon. I wanted to be a physician or a veterinarian. And sometimes you have to build legs and use, you know, metal and wire and screws to, to build a life to save a life and um, I knew that I, I needed to do that and I think now um, I haven't dated in 10 years 11 years now silence crickets are you still there well I'm <laughs> contemplating I mean is that is that okay for you my last relationship was 10 years and it ended in 2008 I'm familiar with it it's in the book there's there's yep. there's three moments here that you know at the end of your relationship with Richard Pryor it's like 1977 there's a moment that I think is important in which you bring Richard to meet your grandfather who's the first feminist in your life daddy ray yeah and i was reading about that today and i and and i thought gosh i wonder what was going through your head on that day when you brought Richard to meet your grandfather who you held so close to your heart i just hope that I knew Richard wouldn't say anything that would offend my grandfather. I knew Richard needed a male figure in his life who did all the things that Richard wanted to do and loved to do was fishing. And the fact that Richard kept said I, I kept going home, and I said he said you must have a man back home. You must have some. I said I do. I have I have Daddy Ray, my grandfather. He teaches me things. He's always taught me things. And he's always been right. And he says, well, I want to meet him, too. I've never had a grandfather. I would love to meet him and go fishing with him. I said, he can take you to some of the best, you know, fishing holes and rivers and lakes. So we, you know, jumped on a plane and went to visit my relatives and uh, Daddy Ray. We went over to his house. And first thing Richard did, 
they went, Daddy raised, well, come on in, look where, look, come on, there's, come on, I tie flies, come on in here. And it was his workbench where he would uh, tie flies to go fishing. And Richard said, oh, my, he says, you don't buy them in the store, you make, he says, yeah, I make my own, I don't buy them in the store. And they chatted. And Richard didn't drink beer. He had lemonade. My granddad, he drank beer coors, of course. Hmm. And they fishing and the type of line and the, the type of test line. Richard was like a little boy. He was like, you know, sitting on my grandfather's knee, asking him a thousand questions. And it was so precious to see that Richard really needed it. So he could see what I got, what I learned, and what Richard could see what he was missing. My father taught me about, like, the great outdoors. You know, he, he loved, like, the woods and shit and nature. Something, because I still dig it today. You know, I used to love to go, like, my father take me fishing and hunting. I like to go hunting with him, but I hated being the dog. <laughs> no, because my father didn't have no patience. You know what I mean? He just lose his temper. God damn it, chase the rabbit this way. Well, what the fuck you chasing the rabbit back that way? Get your ass in the car, shit. We ain't gonna never eat. Dog, get your ass in the car. You don't want to chase no goddamn rabbit. But it was something about nature, man, and he taught me about to be in the woods and just the sounds you would hear would be so different. You ever notice how quiet you get when you go in the woods? It's almost like you know the gods are there, right? You be quiet. Be... Leaves be crinkling on your feet. Something about nature, right? Just makes you want to shit. The, the the part that I've, I keep coming back to is that you said that you want to save a life. That is something inside of you is to is to save and to help people. And I think you tried to help Freddie, and I think you help tried to help Richard. You know, you're sixty nine, soon to turn seventy. When you think back on it and think back on yourself even now, why do you think you have that in you? That 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 push to save people, to help people. You learn how to help someone who is different and you have maybe fractions of a second to reach them spiritually, religiously, psychologically, scientifically. And being a, a problem solver, Daddy Ray instilled that in me. And I, I would see the joy um, in when he would do something well. I don't know if you remember back in the day we had S&W stamps and blue chip stamps. Mm-hmm. We'd save stamps and put them in books, and we'd redeem them at their stores, and we'd get clothing and, and items, you know, furniture. But we saved a lot of stamps, and I got a car coat. My mom was able to buy this car coat, hooded car coat with fur, kind of a, a fake fur around the, the hood and, and bone uh, that would enclose the front. They were like um, little horns that you could close your coat with. It was basically kind of European in style. And one of my friends at school, we had just come back from England, and um, she didn't have a coat because she, she wasn't, uh, her family couldn't afford for her to have one. And it was cold that day. It, like it was snowing here. And so she was cold and she was, she, she was crying. She was so cold. So I gave her my coat and I said, here, 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 you put on my coat. I'll be okay. And I gave her the coat. She was supposed to give it back, but she didn't. She liked it too. When I came home without my coat, my mom went berserk. <laughs> Pammy, why do you do that? You always give away something. You're always, but she needed it. Mom. She was cold. I wasn't as cold. I was okay. And my mom, we tried to get the coat back, but I've always been 
that way, sharing what I have, because my family always shared what they had. It was just a, a thing about us, you know. We we have we're so fortunate to have some some sense of abundance, some level of of of, of gratitude. And as Pima Chodron says, give what you want most. And so to study, to learn, to not be wasteful, to continue, you know, um, set examples. For your neighbors, because I had neighbors when I moved up here, they thought I was going to open a meth lab. And they were concerned that <laughs> here's a single black woman coming up here to have a ranch. Yeah, right. Uh, I, you know, before they knew it, I had my John Deere equipment. I was plowing their driveway before they got up, you know, helping them, you know, with their animals and their dogs that got out. And I'd hang on to them. Their kids would come over and we'd sit. And now, you know, it's been a ritual of my neighbors coming over with coffee and donuts and sitting in their bathrobes down at the barn. We just shooting a breathe you know so um and we share we have so much in common we we share each other's challenges with kids and and life and hormones and you know uh some politics basically it's like well you think our wells were one dry this year <laughs> you think we're going to have enough water mm. you know we talk about real things i know i know you have a full day so we have um let's talk about real things before we go in 1988 you're diagnosed with cancer and you're told that you have 18 months to live when you look at that how did, how did you get through something so serious and so painful oh it, it it was a um, just this question evokes just that day of being with my mom sitting in my physician's office and uh, we've already had surgery and it, to be told getting my affairs you know in order and handed, being handed a, a huge you know, notebook of things to do, what to do, how to follow the, you know, uh, and the fact that he's going to send me down to Chinatown uh, to go to this herb shop, and uh, he says, um, you know, I want you to try Eastern medicine, and we've done as much as we could with Western, so, you know, I'm going to send you to this place to go, but you have to follow the rules. These are the things, you're, it's going to be hard, because you live in another state, and you'll have to come back out here for treatment and if you don't you know um we'll try to make your life as comfortable as possible and i'm uh, like what and it, it, it you you slow down to hear everything and absorb it and my mom and i walked out with the schedule of when i begin treatment and can my mom take more time off from work i said mom that's okay i'll do when when you can you know, come with, and if you can't, I'll be okay by myself. You go by day by day. You didn't, I don't know if I should plan parties, birthdays, what to do, because I might have treatment that day. I might be flying to California that day. I, that was my goal for two years, was nothing but flying from here, going to Cedar Sinai Cancer Center, and seeing acquaintances who look forward to seeing me, and, and talking about our medical challenges and how we're doing, and, and I look forward to that. And that's what two years did. I, didn't, I gained so much information. I gained so much of myself, and I had lost a lot in the two surgeries. I didn't know what or how I would recover. And people were saying, we miss you. Where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? You know, well, I didn't look the same. Uh, my stomach was quite extended from surgery. Uh, my hair, my skin color, everything was just mm. not me. And and I was a not well me. 
I was really fighting, and it was okay. I, you know, I would resign to whatever's going to happen, but I'm going to fight. I'm a fighter. Always had been. I would fly literally in my pajamas. I would just go in my pajamas because I'm going to have to be in my pajamas when I check in at the hospital and check in at the hotel. And at the time, I had a, a boyfriend uh, for three years. He was an architect in New York. He he just couldn't handle the fact that I could die, that I was dying, and that I was going to be ill. He just abandoned me. He didn't want to see it. So. Oh, my God. That, that really helped me through it. And I bumped into him five years later. I was doing a Spike Lee film called Crooklyn, and I walked out of my hotel and bumped right into him after five years and him not returning my phone calls. Or the doctor. My doctor tried to call him and tell him, uh, you know, it would be great if you could come. You know, we we've, I had a hotel room and rental car for him. And the doctor called and said, please come and see Pam. She's going to be okay, and I can talk to you about what she's going to have to go through. But, you know, and, and he didn't call anybody back. He just, you know, disappeared until that five years later. And um, I was okay. I listened. I learned. I made friends. And I learned about what it takes to, for me to survive, for me to listen, to me to not make excuses, to be... I'm not going to be perfect I'm, if I can just be real for people and support other people. I don't know what my weight's going to be like. I don't know if I'll have a stroke. I don't know anything. I'm just going to make the best of of my outcome. And it, next thing, I, I, before I even finish my, my therapy, I get a call from Tim Reed, who was doing a show called Frank's Place. And Tim wanted me to be in the show. And to play this actress who comes to town, and they use uh, Frank's bar, and um, John Wayne's son, Patrick Wayne, is an actor, and he's going to be the elite actor in the scene, and I end up uh, slapping him or throwing a drink in his face mm-hmm. so many times. I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. I said, however, I didn't know if I could remember a lot of dialogue. And so I, I, I said, you know, Tim, I don't look the same, you know, I've been really ill, and uh, this would be the first job. I hope it's not a, a lot of dialogue, which I, I take such pride in having a great memory. He said, that's fine, we'll, we'll get wigs, we got makeup, we'll put you in that. You, you come, we'll take good care of you. I had such a great time, uh, and I missed it. I realized I did miss acting, and I would miss it. I'm going to miss it. Because I don't know if I can work at the level 15 hours a day, you know, studying lots of dialogue and being physical. I don't know if I can ever do that again. It's, that's taxing, and I could hardly walk upstairs. Um, sometimes I just didn't feel good. Did you think you were going to make it? No. There are days that I could only get through half a day. If I could get through noon, if I could get to dinner, if I could get to midnight, and and I knew sometimes I uh, couldn't sleep well. And I finally, you know, the beds were too soft sometimes in the hotels. or It hurt and, you know, and I wanted to exercise. And it was just, you know, things that weren't as convenient in, uh, in your lifestyle. And you just have to pull through. You have to push through. And you're hoping your memory, you know, will, uh, will re- survive, be revived. You don't know. You, you just don't know. That's unbelievable. I, I'm taken aback by uh, the sort of courage you've shown throughout your life. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's. That's not a question. It's just a statement to you. It's just. Uh, hey, and I was, and there are times my mom couldn't come. 
she had taken off too much time from work. And I, you know, and she couldn't quit because she had her Social Security and her, her, you know, um, Medicare and her, you know, finances to take care of and my dad. And, and um, so she, you know, there were times I just was by myself. However, I met other young people, other people my age who were, you know, going to get their treatment by themselves. They didn't burden their families. They were people coming in, you know, limousines, by the bus, taxi. They would come and just do it. And this is a part of living and we're going to do it. And sometimes some people didn't return because they didn't make it. And um, I was glad I was, I was I got to meet them, and I said, there might be a time where I don't return, and I'll be missed. I, I'm hoping I'll be missed. And um, and my mom, she every chance she got, she would come, you know, and I know it exhausts her, and uh, she'd do everything, and then I would come home as much as I could. And, um, and she could see, you're getting strong. Let's feed you liver. I'm not going to eat liver. <laughs> I'm not going to eat liver, sorry. <laughs> It'll make you strong. No, it won't. I'm going to throw up. I don't want to eat liver. It's a filter, filter of bad things in an animal because I'd studied, you know, zoology and biology trying to be a doctor or vet, so I, I wasn't going to eat liver. <laughs> you know, Pam, when it comes to matters of the heart, I know we are strangers, but the thing that I believe unifies everyone in this world is an attempt to fall in love and then to maybe stay in love. And throughout your life, you seem to have had this capacity for loving people and then moving on when you felt it was no longer working. And I wanted to know how you managed to do that. It's kind of when you, I guess when you meet someone, and you may not even meet them, they could be in a, another room, and you'll feel something. I don't know, I, it's hard, almost, maybe I can articulate it. Are you familiar with Rumi? I don't think I am. Rumi, one of his quotes is, goodbyes are only for those who love with their eyes. For those who love with their heart and soul, there is no such thing as separation. Mm. And there are people who, because, you know, everyone thinks when you get married, oh, we're going to be in love forever, you know, till death do us part. Well, that's a good goal. For me, um, love can be, you know, you fall in love with someone for a day. And that, that would be wonderful if you have a day. And then it could be a week, and then it could be a, or it could be a month with someone you meet somewhere. Um, it, it could be, you know, it's not infinite. It's not forever. It could be. If it is, it's wonderful for some people who could have that forever. But that, I don't know if I've had that. But I know that when I had different times with, with um, Kareem, with Freddie, with Richard, they were wonderful, you know. But I knew that they were also, I would lose my identity. I can't lose my identity. I don't think that's being in love. I have to, you know, be me, grow as me, you be you, grow as you, and no judgment. And a lot of people, they, they start judging each other and they don't accept changes in another person, so therefore they fall out of love or whatever their their term or definition of love is. And so people, it's not, it's, I don't know, it's different with everyone. And in, and when you sit there with someone and you explain psychologically what love means to you, what being in love means, 
it's almost incomprehensible. You can't even speak of what it is or why. You said uh, earlier in the conversation that you hadn't had a relationship in a decade. And one of the, one of the most interesting chapters in your book is when you describe the breakup you had with Lance. And, and the thing that has stuck with me today is that you said the biggest thing that I hold on to, the thing that pains me the most, is time wasted. Yeah. You offer a safety, a comfort zone to someone and you're, you know, you, you, you want to be intrusive, but you hope that, well, you, you know, I hope I create a comfort zone so you can share with me so I can help you help yourself with your issues. And so when it goes on and, and you see that they're getting worse, and it's sad because there's other people that I could have been that could have worked with and had in my life where we did things and, you know, and grown and not look back. And, and, um, there you, you can't get that time back. And, and that was the only thing I, you know, was sad was that, you know, I, I, I offered to help you, but you didn't want to help you. It was a deception or not revealing and you're hoping you do that for some, it doesn't, you know, 10 years, 10 months, 10 days, 10 years, it doesn't matter. But it's the fact that someone had the capacity to be a great friend. I learned a lot from that person. I learned so much that, that we, he would talk about how, you know, smart I was, how, you know, I was, I was, he was so surprised that I, you know, that, um, I wasn't, flippant or crazy or, you know, spending or, you know, just bonkers because they always, people say actresses are, you know, they always put us in a category of being neurotic and crazy. And that's not true. Not for me. Uh, I have reality checks every day, all day. And uh, I don't have time for being narcissistic. And uh, he was just, had been around people in the past, his past. And he was so delighted. And then, and then I said, okay. And then finally when I, you know, just by finding out some things about him inadvertently was was and then when I was asked, I said, "Well, did you not feel comfortable with me to share, reveal, um, trust? You know, I I've helped you, you know, with um, getting back into the workforce, and I've always been, you know, someone that you shouldn't be afraid of, and mm. and uh, I thought I had established that, and um, I could have just spent a lot less time." And, you know, so his relatives, I did learn about other aspects of humanity and what works in relationships and what doesn't. And, and so it, it, he was very helpful. But it was sad because he really had the capacity to, to do things. I think one of the days that he was around me, he was being pulled by, you know, a lot of his friends and peers and, 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 and into almost this was elitist mind thinking. And the day that he was out putting, uh, had a wrench in his hand and he had put on a new, a new seat for me on the tractor was like, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was a, and that was that swing of, wow, you, you have a, a sense of normalcy. This is great. He was, he took off the bolts of, with a wrench and, and, and put on, installed the new seat. And he was so proud of that. And, and so just simple things like that. He would really, you know, be just excited. And then there was the other side that, you know, if he did anything like labor or things would be around a tractor, he didn't want to tell, you know, tell his friends for whatever reason. Mm. So it's like crazy stuff. <laughs> what? So I, I realized that you always can't help everyone if you want, and you always can't teach everyone. 
And so, you know, you have to go. You have to let go. You have can't hold on to things that, that are going to stress you out and that are not going to fit, not going to work. And I think giving a decade to a relationship where, you know, um, uh, he had the full, you know, range of, of my home and animals and family, and I could see there wasn't a lot of, you know, of growth in his life in the, in the 10 years. And so I realized, God, okay, I, it didn't work there. So, you know, and I've seen other people have relationships where, They've responded in growth and um, knowledge and life and expansion of their life. And, uh, you know, you you can see that in relationships. And then when when yourself don't see that, then you go, okay, um, I did all I could. At 18, you felt in writing, I cannot resist the powerful draw to head west. And I didn't intend to return until I had satisfied that pull, made my fortune, and discovered my version of utopia. Have you discovered that? I'm sure I did. (laughs) I was like, oh, wow, I'll have to read my book again. Um, Yeah, I had to find myself and not someone else's. I needed to accomplish. I needed to look at my accomplishments and how I got there, and the challenges and the struggles and and some things that you earn yourself, you're going to, you know, keep yourself. You're not going to easily give it away or allow it to dissipate. You know, the earning life, earning accomplishments, earning relationships, earning love, knowing how to love, in what ways, uh, how long. It's I don't believe in this forever stuff. You know, you're in love forever. It would be great. Um, but I don't know if it's a reality. I question it. I, you know, so those mm. are the things, all those unknown things of growing into adulthood uh, and this wonderful, exciting time, especially when it was the, the period of the women's liberation movement. Watching women, when my mom went to the hardware store, we lost our minds. We thought it was the, the man cave where people, men to go learn how to build, you know, they build houses and buildings and they take care of things. When we went there, we, I was able to help my mom keep her house. Hmm. We figured out, we we wore this one guy, or how does this tool work? And what does this do? Why do you have to have so many saws? Why do you need just, why can't you need just one? What is a circular saw? What is reciprocal? What is this? this? We wore, babe, here we come. Here comes Gwenny and her daughter. Uh, we figured out how to keep her house, do things. My mom was ridiculed one day when we were cutting the grass and she had on pants and, and she was up on a ladder and we were changing, doing things. And they said, that's man's work. You don't need to be up there. And, and they were trying to put her down. She says, well, my man's not here and I got to do it. So I'm not going to let my house fall apart. So mind your own business. <laughs> that's what my little mother said. And so I said, go on, mom. And the, our house always looked neat and beautiful yard and pretty. She kept it herself. And, you know, the pride of being able to do things and accomplish things to look back and say you know what I had some pride and still have it and there's so much that I built upon the various pride in my life with relationships pride to walk away you know someone I really loved and that it didn't destroy me uh, pride to enter relationships not knowing what could happen um, and knowing that you have pride to say oh, oh danger 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 um, you know it, it takes a lot it takes a lot of trusting yourself trusting your instincts trusting you know the the water's wet and the fire's hot you got to trust yourself and, and and be alert and curious do you have any regrets Mm-mm. 
No. Oh, I do have a. I regret not bearing a child. I I I do. I wish I could have. Um, you know, I gave birth to a child. That experience would have been just wonderful and painful. And who knows what? But I I really wanted to have uh, uh, children. But I have everyone else's children. <laughs> do you feel like it's okay that you didn't? Um, it's it's okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's okay. I I don't. It doesn't pull me down. I'm not modeling about it. It's it would have been great. You know, you don't you don't miss your water. You know, but you, you don't miss in, in, anything you've never had. Um, you know, the last thing I want to ask you uh, is you have this quote and you wrote in your book, I tell you this, when I started doing stunts that I'm feeling the pain from now, I didn't have a sports bra and it was a lot harder to be very physical and authentic. I don't want to be remembered as being perfect. I want to be remembered as being real. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. I ain't perfect. And I might have to try something two or three times to make it work. <laughs> you know, I don't know what perfection would be. I strive for it. I can imagine it in in in, in a fantasy. <laughs> but I, I'm not worried about being perfect. I just want to be real, get through the day without many owies and stumbling and, you know, cuts and scratches, rattlesnake bites, you know. So I realize how important just the simple things mean a lot. Well, I want to thank you for being real in our time together. I think uh, you've been wonderfully honest, especially with someone that you do not know. And we're talking over the phone, so you can't even see my face and I can't see yours. And um, it's been a really, it's been a real joy to talk with you. Well, it's been interesting, your choice of, of questions and your tone of voice. So, you know, I said, okay, here's what I have for that, <laughs> for your voice and your questions. And so, you know, that's all I got. <laughs> you know, because it'll be depending on, on the tone of your voice. Like, oh, my God. You know, because when everybody's in the dark, you know, you really depend on your, your, your ears, your senses and your intuition. So that's how I kind of go through life. If it was dark, how would I survive? <laughs> you know, I'll try to do the same thing. Uh, yeah, try it. It's kind of fun. Just don't bump anything and hurt your shins. Thank you for the advice. Pam Greer, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I hope um, I enlighten uh, people who are listening and they get a chance to know me a bit more. I'm, I'm sure you will. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you. You as well. All right. Special thanks this week to Kaylee Johnson and the good people at Disney. Pam's latest film, Palms, is out in theaters now. She also stars in Bless This Mess, which is having its season finale on ABC. It stars Lake Bell and Hack Shepard. Be sure to check that out. If you'd like to learn more about Pam, you can do so at our show notes at talkeasypod.com. There on the site, you'll find other conversations that I think you would enjoy 
with folks like Robert Forrester, Alan Alda, Keith David, Vincent D'Onofrio, Bill Pullman, Britt Marling, Werner Herzog, Lena Waith, and uh, many, many more. The show is available to stream for free on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod. If you'd like to drop us a line, our email is TalkEasyPod at gmail.com. If you'd like to consider a charitable donation, you can visit our website at TalkEasyPod.com slash donate. We're on PayPal at TalkEasyPod at gmail.com and on Venmo at TalkEasyPod. As always, the show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, our music is by Dylan Peck, our booking is by Ian Chang, our social media is by Crystal Farmer, our new intern is Ghani Zur, and the show is produced by Neil Innes. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I will see you next Sunday with Kenneth Branagh. And now, here's a song to play us out. Have a good week, everyone.
The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. You know, I love music, but I haven't picked up an instrument in years. You know why? I tell myself, I don't have time. Where am I going to find a teacher? Well, there's an answer. Musora. Musora is the place where you can learn essential skills and techniques with more than a hundred of the world's best teachers and musicians and thousands of famous songs. You get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 per month, less than a single private lesson. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 